Mac Power Users, episode 126, The Mac Home Server. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. And we are joined today by a very special guest who is familiar to this network and probably all of our listeners. A big welcome to Sean Blanc. Welcome, Sean. Hello. Thank you. Sean, I've been wanting to have you on the show forever. You know, the, uh, I've been wanting to be on the show forever. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should have spoken up, man. Yeah. Well, and this is a show that we've wanted to do forever and that you finally gave us the little bit of nudge that we needed to go over the ledge because um, I've been running a Mac Mini kind of as a, a, a personal home server here at the at my house for a long time. David's got an iMac that's kind of always on at his house that I, I don't think he technically calls it a server, but it you know uses a lot of those functions. And then you put up this great post on your website where you talked about this old, I think it was a MacBook Pro that you repurposed as a home server. And I, I you know, I'd always kind of bagged off doing the show saying, yeah, I just, I just don't think I do enough with it. I don't think there's enough with it. And then every time I would talk about my Mac mini server on the show, we'd get a bunch of emails saying, please do a show on it. Please do a show on it. And, and your post is what sent me over the edge and said, if we get Sean on here, there's enough, there's enough content to do a show. So we're here. Awesome. And- and for those of you who don't know, Sean is the author and publisher of SeanBlanc.net. It's, and it, it's spelled a little differently. It's S-H-A-W-N-B-L-A-N-C.net. I got that right, didn't I, Sean? You did. Well, and, I, and I think it's spelled like his name is spelled. Well, yeah, yeah it's, but it's it, not spelled differently at all. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't – I don't I, – I, I hear it differently. Okay. I, I see it differently than when I hear it, I guess that meant. All my friends that are Sean are S-H-A-U-N. I don't know any S-H-A-W-N Sean's. Well, so. they're, they're or, uh, spelling it wrong. Well, and there's S-E-A-N is also pretty popular. Yeah, that's, that's another one. So I wanted to make it very clear. And, and Sean is one of the best – I think he's one of the leading voices in the Mac community. Uh, he's got this great blog that um, he puts a lot of great opinion stuff out there as well as news. It's just a really nice mix. It's uh, one of the feeds I follow, and uh, I always appreciate the stuff you bring to the community. So it's really great having you. And as, Ka- as Katie said, you know, you did this post about uh, setting up your home server. And uh, I think we'd like to talk about this for our listeners, too, because I think there's a lot of people out there that probably have an extra Mac around and they're scratching their head about what to do with it. And there's actually quite a bit you can do. But before we get started on this stuff, I, I think one of the the things we need to debunk is the idea of uh, a home server in terms of what operating system you're running, because traditionally when you hear server you know, you think about corporate stuff and you think about running Microsoft Exchange server or uh, Mountain Lion server. You know, Apple has a server version of its software. Uh, you can now buy the Mountain Lion server software, which is, a, in, a, in essence, an add-on to your um, to your Mountain Lion purchase through the App Store. It's a, I think, Katie, you were saying it was 20 bucks now? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so you can download uh, Lion or Mountain Lion on your Mac, and then you can pay the 20 bucks and upgrade your your software to a server version. And that's not what we're talking about. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I've shied away from doing this topic for three years is because once you start talking about how to run uh, mountain lion server software, I'm going to be making mistakes and causing uh, very smart it people around the country to pull out fistfuls of their hair as they listen to me. And uh, I never really want what I said, please email David. 
Yeah. So, and that's why I've always been a little nervous about it. But I think the uh, hallelujah moment for me was when Sean put his post up and you never used the word mountain lion server software because you're not running it, right? No, just mountain lion. Yeah. So you're just running mountain lion. And then I got thinking, well, Sean's doing it without running the server software. And then I got thinking about what I do with it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm running a server too without running server software. And so is Katie. And we said, you know, let's Mm -hmm. do a show on that. Um, but before we move on, uh, so you can go, you know, the full Monty and download the server software for your mountain line install. And that's really great if you're going to run a small office, if you want to be able to manage like iOS installations or computer installations. I mean, it really is the classic server type tools where you can manage a whole network of computers uh, remotely and do all sorts of neat DNS and access stuff. We're not going to talk about any of that on this show. Uh, This show is going to be about if you've got an extra Mac at home, you want to put the current version of the Mac operating system on it and make it make it do cool stuff for you. That's what we're going to talk about. Yes. That's that's and it's kind of a rabbit hole, too. Once you start, as as we'll discover, no doubt, as the show goes on. And I think the, the thing you touched on first, David, is, and the thing I certainly got from Sean's post, is you don't have to have a specific type of computer to do this. Now, I didn't have a secondary computer, so I went out and bought a low-end Mac Mini because I specifically wanted a backup computer because I realized if I got into a situation, and it wouldn't be as big a deal now that we've got the iPhone and the iPad, but if I got in a situation where my MacBook Air died... I would be without a computer for several days because now these things aren't really locally repairable. They usually get shipped off to a depot, which I think is in Texas, to be repaired. And you're usually without it, you know, three or four days at at best to get it back. And so part of this for me is I really liked the idea of having a second Mac. Um, I picked up a Mac Mini, but I know you and Sean are doing it. You know, David, you're just doing it with your everyday iMac. And Sean, you repurposed an old MacBook Pro that you use. So and let's talk first about a little bit about the types of machine and the specs of a machine that you need to do some of this stuff. Yeah, I used uh, my MacBook Pro. It's just the old, I don't know, it's like got to be four or five years old now. It's the aluminum one before the unibody. And uh, I think it just barely will run Mountain Lion, but it does. And all you really needed is, you know, I'm just using Hazel and Dropbox and, and have mail running all the time. And that's about it. That's the usual bag of tricks. Yeah. All right. And, yeah. and I'm guessing you're running that in clamshell mode most of the time? Uh, no, I've got it open. It's uh, just, you know, kind of sitting in the back in a corner. Um, and I have it open so it can kind of breathe and, and run really well. And then it's not, um, you know, like Katie, if, with your Mac Mini, and a lot of people that do use these Mac Minis, you're, they run them headless. And so you've kind of got to like remote in or bring it out and plug it in into your external and plug in a keyboard. So something that's nice about using this old MacBook Pro is it's it's all self-contained right there. So if I do need to, you know, install something or update something or, you know, tweak some of the Apple scripts that I have running, I, I just, you know, put my mouse on the trackpad and the screen wakes up and, and there I go. See, and I, I run into a different set of complications because I've got, you know, I'm one of those lucky guys. I've got two Macs. I've got a, a laptop and I've got an iMac. And for all the screencast projects I do, I really like working on an iMac and frankly, sitting here recording this podcast. It's, it's on a desk. It's got, you know, a boom mic and everything is really great. I can just sit down and start working. Uh, but, uh, that is also my server and that is also the family computer. So I've got kids running around the house who are getting increasingly smart about computers and, uh, they'll sit down and start doing things on it as well. So I can use some of the tricks we're going to talk about during the show, 
but there's always a distinct possibility someone in my family is going to shut down mail or they're going to do something that's going to cause one of my automation, you know, server type things to stop working. So it's a, it's a, it's an entirely different problem that it's not just headless. It's being used every day by four people. Well, mine is a, we touched on a little bit. Mine's, mine's a headless Mac mini. It's the 2011 low end model. I've souped it up a little bit. I've I've added, I think, eight gigs of RAM in it that I got pretty cheap from OWC. I've thought off and on about putting a flash drive in there, or a storage drive in there. And um, I just can't seem to come up with a good reason to do that because I use so little of the minis onboard storage. And I'm very rarely using – I'm very rarely rebooting it, so it doesn't take much time to reboot. And I'm very rarely using it for – um, you know, any hard drive intensive tasks. So I, I can't really come up with a good reason other than it just kind of be cool to take it apart and tinker with it other than the, well, and that may in and of itself be a good reason. Um, it's kind of headless. I've, I've actually put my mini in the um, home entertainment unit that I have. So my mini is hooked up via HDMI to my uh, flat screen TV. So it's just the third HDMI input on that. So I've got an external Bluetooth keyboard and mouse that I keep, you know, in a, in a drawer that I can pull out and use, but I'm kind of finding that I don't. In in fact, I kind of have to consciously remember every couple of weeks to go in and check and see if there's software updates and maybe it needs to be restarted. And um, if a service has stopped working, you know, usually a restart clears it out and works on it, but it's just kind of set it and forget it. Yeah. I, I think that's half the point is you set up all these automations and then it's kind of, you've got this little assistant in the background that's, that's doing stuff for you and, holding some of your files for you. And the kind of the point is to not have to think about it. Right. Now, a lot of the reason why we don't need some of these uber powerful computers to do this type of stuff, number one, we're not doing a lot of heavy lifting, um, but we're also not using a lot of the, at least in my case, the onboard storage. Um, I've, I've got a Drobo, a Drobo FS that's attached to my network that I'm using for a lot of this stuff. Uh, Sean, where are you, where are you actually keeping all of your data? Because I know the hard drive space on the the MacBook Pro is probably pretty limited. It well, it is. I actually uh, updated the hard drive a few years ago with a solid state that I also got from OWC, and it's just 128 gigs, um, and that was enough to hold my whole DVD library. Because the putting all the DVDs as media files onto the Mac was sort of my initial uh, purpose. Because then I could get rid of the box of DVDs that I have in the basement and kind of clear out some physical space. And then you can watch everything through your Apple TV, which I thought, you know, would be great. Um, and and so Sean, hundred, yeah, Sean go you're, you're going to love that as Noah gets older, because, uh, you know, as an adult, you're going to watch a movie once or twice. Uh, kids, it's not the same. They're, they're kind of, if you back, he's one now, so you're probably already starting to see that they'll watch a show over and over again. And uh, they also like to eat peanut butter. So you combine those things, <laughs> peanut butter with repeated use of one DVD, and you're going to figure out that that's not a good mix. Just just stick him in front of the TV and, you know, the, that's the new babysitter, apparently. That's how I raised my kids, and yeah. it worked out just great. Oh, good to know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, and I hear Pixar is actually going to do something on Netflix, right? So, I mean, maybe. Really? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll go that route. We'll see. I didn't know that. Because right now all the DVDs are... Yeah, See, I don't, you ripped I don't think all those DVDs enough. for nothing. Yeah. No, it was great. I mean, my kids are old enough now. That doesn't happen. But I remember um, some really terrible DVDs that they did watch repeatedly. And uh, I ripped them all. Mm. I, I I cut you off, though. Please continue. Yeah. So everything fits saying, on that little flash drive? Yeah, the 128 gigs is uh, is plenty. Because the only files I have on there are uh, is pretty much just the iTunes library. 
Um, and I've, you know, I mean, some people will be like, are you kidding me? 128 gigs for your entire iTunes library. You're, you're joking me. Cause that's, that's small. I, I think that's small potatoes for a lot of people, but, um, for me, it's, it's plenty. You and know, that's about it. There's not that many other files. I'm not, uh, you know, doing a lot of major storage on, on that, on that Mac. When, when I think about it, that would probably be plenty. I, I tend to put most of my stuff on the Drobo cause I'm doing other stuff with that server. I've got other people backing up to it and they're backing up to the Drobo, but yeah, 128 would probably be fine for my iTunes library too. And that'll be interesting in the future as the Thunderbolt stuff becomes more available and more common. Uh, I could see setting up a mini and putting a Thunderbolt drive attached to it if you had a bigger library. I mean, our, our library at my house is is definitely bigger than 120. I think I'm probably in the neighborhood of about 700 gigs. But, oh um, well, you know, we've just got a lot yeah, of yeah. movies over the years. And, and like Sean, I, I ripped everything that we've ever bought. And it's all put up in the garage and I never look at it. And it's really wonderful when you're sitting in front of the TV and you say, let's watch Indiana Jones and you just go find it and push the button and it starts up. Now, one of the things I've realized that really keeps the, the requirements of this mini or the requirements of this home server down to a minimum is that I'm not loading it up with a lot of apps. I mean, storage for me is important because of some of the things that I do with it, but the reason I'm able to keep the processor power down and some of the memory usage down is because I'm not running a ton of apps. Um, if I look at my applications folder on my MacBook Air, which is my main machine, I've got 126 items in there. And that's driving me a little bonkers now that I just think about that because that that's, seems like a lot. But the applications that I install on my home server are, are very minimal. Like Sean, I've got Dropbox, I've got Hazel, I've got a couple of core apps that I use to to download things. Uh, you know, crash plan, Evernote, you know, whatever comes standard, but I'm not install. I'm, you know, it's basically if I find an app that I need to install to do something that I want to do on that machine, I'm installing it. But otherwise, you know, I, I don't have any word processors on there. I, I don't have an office suite on there. I just don't need that stuff. So you're not going to sit in front of your TV and write a letter. That sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially with the sit, sitting back on my couch, looking at the resolution of my, of my, uh, of my, plasma tv I, I no i don't think that's a good idea yeah so what what about you sean what what are the key apps that you've got running on your server uh yeah it's really similar to katie hazel and dropbox are kind of the main ones and then um i think i think i put like one password launch launch bar those are kind of and if i'm i'm working on a mac that doesn't have those it's kind of like walking around in the dark and you know, it's, it's a little awkward um yeah. And then, gosh, that's it. Like for the ripping the DVDs, it was uh, Handbrake and uh, another app called Rip It, and then Identify with a you know lowercase I, capital D, Entify. And oh yeah, then, uh, yeah. I used to those. And, and I, I want to talk to you it. about those in a minute because we yeah. uh, I, I've got a, a similar but not identical workflow. You know, Hazel. If Paul Kim, the guy who makes Hazel, ever goes to MacWorld, uh, I'm pretty sure that guy will not have to buy a single meal the whole time he's there because so many of us are using Hazel to do amazing things. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, sometimes people ask me, they say, I want to learn Apple script. And I say, well, why do you want to learn it? And I'll say, well, I want to be able to um, script file management and, you know, be able to move stuff around. I'm like, oh, don't learn Apple script. Just go buy Hazel. Well guys, we got a whole section coming up on automation. So don't, don't get there too quickly. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I just stay stay on track. Stay on track. All right. No. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the um, 
you know, some of the technical difficulties or, or, you know, kind of security issues or whatever about, uh, you know, keeping this extra Mac, because you, you need to think about these things because it's not a Mac that you're in there managing, you know, administering every day. That's kind of the idea is you want to set it and forget it. But, um, but at the same time, it is a home server. And so it's probably logged into iCloud. It's probably logged into Dropbox. It probably, you know, mine at least has, you know, my one password password on there. It's It's got my credentials in there. So I, I need to take some care. And, um, you know, one of the struggles that I've I've really struggled with on this, this home server is the idea of security versus convenience, because this is a machine that's always on. I, I, I don't set it to sleep. I do set it so that the screensaver comes up so that if somebody needs to access it, they've got to put in a screensaver password. Um, but it's a machine that I may need to get into and administer. I'm just curious, is is that, and David, I know yours is probably a little more secure because it's your everyday machine, but Sean, is that something that you've really thought about or, or struggled with, or have you just kind of figured there's not much on this machine, so if somebody ends up walking out the door with it, it's not that big a deal? Well, I uh, I have mine chained down. No, okay. Really. <laughs> no, no, you can't. I, was, I, mean, I, was gonna, no one's, I wondered you know, if you a, did, because you can get like trap. those, yeah, you can get yeah. like those uh, Kensington security locks for a, a MacBook or something no i was They'd, thinking like a tow chain what you would use oh, okay. to like tow like, a boat with it's completely steampunk right you know exactly just, yeah i i want a picture and then there's uh right above it i've got a, a bucket of you know hot oil and so if anyone you know did, the bucket tips over perfect but but no i've hardly got anything running on right? it so yeah, yeah yeah absolutely childproof okay and sharks and, with lasers <laughs> yes the sharks with lasers and uh, no, I since I've hardly got anything running on it, I have uh, Katie similar to you, you know the screensaver option. So if that comes up, you need a password, and uh, you need a password to log into it. the uh, The battery is pretty much dead. So if anyone does walk away with it, the the computer is going to die in about three minutes once they have it unplugged. And so they'll have to turn it back on, and then you'll need a password to get in through there. And I've got the file vault turned on, obviously with that. Um, but otherwise, it's uh, you know, it's running all the time. Doesn't go to sleep. Yeah, and I think the key there is File Vault. File Vault 2 is really good. And you think about it as a laptop solution, but I think of it as an Mac solution. It doesn't, to my experience, cause any slowdown in the operation. And I'm sure somebody has run a test and can prove it does, but I, I don't feel it. And it just takes a minute to turn it on. Yeah, well, I use me, it on my main computer as well. Yeah, let me bring up an interesting problem, though, that, that File Vault creates when you're trying to administer a machine that you may not have physical access to, because let's say, you know, you're out and about and you don't have access to your, your home server and you've got a, you know, it's done on a software update or it has to reboot or you're having an issue and you need to reboot it. The, the problem, and I'll just say for the record, I flipped it on too, because I'd rather have the security than the convenience. And that's what I ultimately decided. But the problem with that is that the file vault encryption is at such a low level that you cannot remote into that machine to enter your file vault password. That that's something that actually has to be done, um, you know, from a physical keyboard. So that's why I, you know, I, normally I use an applications like screen on my iPad um, or just the screen sharing from my MacBook air to control and, and administer the Mac mini. If I need to do software updates or something like that. But as soon as something prompts a restart or if I have a, a power surge, and, and I should say this thing is on a, a battery backup so that doesn't happen, but as soon as I have a power surge or something and it, it does restart, um, I've actually got to have physical access to the computer with my keyboard to get back into it. Yeah, and I guess that depends on 
what you're doing. If you're traveling a lot and you need regular access to this and you can't find somebody to go, you know, throw the switch for you, then maybe you shouldn't do file vault. But I, uh, I think the, the go-to solution there is just enable file vault because if you enable file vault and someone does take it, they take Sean's computer and it's going to shut down as soon as they unplug it because the battery's dead. And then they're going to go find some place to plug it in again. And it's immediately going to look for that file vault password. And if they don't get it, that hard drive is pretty much useless to them unless they've got a lot of resources at their disposal, uh, that a lot more than would merit whatever Sean's got on his hard drive. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, they, they could get at some of my Python scripts, I yeah. suppose. I mean, they could and, watch the three amigos and the wiggles, right? Uh-huh. I don't know if the wiggles are still a thing. Maybe that's I, not. I have no idea. I hope not. I hope not. Hey, um, Oh boy. You know, there was this movie, there's this great book called cryptonomicron, I think by Neil Stevenson. And, yeah. uh, I don't know if you read it or not, but I started w- reading it and then- <laughs> I know a lot of people that started reading it, <laughs> but it's, it's actually worth it if you get to the end. But it, at one point they talk about the server room and they had uh, built a huge magnet into the doorframe where they had wires running all around the doorframe. So when any, whenever anybody carried out the, the server through the doorway, it wiped out all the hard drives just walking through the door. Oh, I totally have that on all my doorways in my house. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A, a part of me has never forgot about that. And I don't even know if it w- would work with an SSD, but a part of me would just love to have that. And Windows. You have to have it on the Windows, too, because sometimes those sneaky thieves come through the window. Yeah. And the chimney. Or oh, just chimney. Throw, yeah. Turn the entire house into a huge magnet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of a in, instead of a security fence around my house, I, I've, I've got like a magnetic. Yeah. There you go. All, all right. Well, before all we the go, car keys are just ripped from your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> before we go too much further off the rails, uh, let's let's please take a break and talk about our first sponsor, and then and then maybe we'll come back and talk a little bit about about using uh, this Mac as a as a media hub. Because um, I know that was one of the reasons why I first got into it. I know Sean uses that quite a bit. So, uh, but let's pause and take a break for our first sponsor, who is a returning sponsor to Mac Power users, and that is Hover dot com. And I love Hover because they are simplified domain management. And I know you, like me, have probably registered a domain um, with with one of those other companies. And and it's really despicable because all they want to do is sell you service after service after service that you're not interested in. And you feel like a game because you're sitting there on their web page, you know, trying to figure out what button you clicked 42 screens ago that accidentally quadrupled your bill when all you wanted to do was buy a domain. And then maybe you get all of these you know, nasty emails from them about the services that you're not interested in. Hover doesn't do that. Hover just sells you the domain name that you want, a .com, a .co, a .tv, um, or even a .net, you know, like SeanBlanc.net, or I've got KatieFloyd.net. I picked that one up as well because, you know, I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find me and that somebody else can't grab it. But whichever one you want, Hover can find it. And if you don't quite know what you want, Hover's got a great little magical machine on their website where you can type in a domain name that you're interested in or a series of ideas in their search box. And Hover will tell you if it's available or give you some suggestion. Um, and they'll figure out what you can what you can use. And one of my favorite things about Hover, and this is actually a service that I personally have used before, um, is there are real-life human beings that are available for support. I actually called mine on New Year's Eve when I had a problem trying to transfer from another domain company who happened to block my transfer for no reason other than a bunch of people were transferring away from them. And the first time they picked up the call in the first ring, 
and said, no worry, we've got it. You don't have to worry about it. This is our problem now. And then they kept emailing me and keeping me up to date. And it was just absolutely seamless. So uh, Hover will take care of the transfers from other, other providers. They've got elegant DNS management. David, I know you're managing your email hosting with Hover. Um, and it's just a wonderfully pleasant experience. It's a company that I'm happy to give my business to, and I've moved all of my domains to Hover. Well, you know how when you deal with people in your real life, you only deal with quality people. You know, if if a, if a person comes up to you and wants to do something for you, you, t- you kind of take the measure of them. And if they don't meet the you know, they don't meet the test. You're like, I'm not going to deal with this guy. Uh, for some reason, on Internet services, a lot of us don't use that test, and I think you should. And Hover will pass it because they're just really great people and they do great service. And what would be really great is if we could get a discount. But wait, there's more. So, yes, you can get a discount. So if you go to Hover.com slash users or use the coupon code MacPowerUsers, that's all one word, You'll get a 10% discount off of everything that you buy from Hover. And you can use that one over and over again. I know I've used it to register about a gazillion domain names. Yeah. I bought Nerdy Professionals uh, for that thing, I'm, that uh, iPad lawyer thing I'm doing. I got the discount. There you go. So yeah. uh, you can find everything you need at Hover.com slash users, And it's uh, welcome back, Hover. Thank you for continuing to sponsor the show. And we are so thrilled to have you. Okay. So the first thing that I think you're going to want to do with your home server is media. Because it's just such a common problem for all of us. We've got all of these videos that we want to watch on our TVs, and we don't want to be running back and forth to the DVD player. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit on the first iTunes show we did many moons ago. And, uh, Sean, you've, you've used a very similar workflow to the one we started there. So let's go through that a little bit. Yeah. I think part of the reason you want to start with uh, the media stuff is because it takes forever to, yeah. to do it. It's... I had, a, I think, about 32 DVDs, and it took me, like, two weeks. Partly because you just get tired after, like, day three. You're just like, ah, oh. you're just doing one DVD a day because you're slow, too tired. Slow and steady wins the race, my friend. But uh, so what I did was I used uh, three apps, um, one called Rip It, uh, and then another one. Handbrake is, a, you know, everyone's familiar with Handbrake, and then, you know, Identify. And uh, what Rip It does is it, it just pulls the, uh, you know, like the, the dot .DVD media file it basically literally just pulls the whole dvd uh and doesn't encode it in process it just rips it straight to your hard drive and then it's you know it's like you've got that disk image right there on your hard drive yeah um, so it, let me just interrupt yeah, there for just ahead. one second so if you used rip it and uh, one use example is if you're going on a trip and you definitely want to have your dvd with you but you don't want to let's say you get the new macbook that doesn't even have a dvd on it uh, use rip it you create this image and you put that dvd image on your macbook you can double tap on it and it will open up just like you stuck the dvd in and you'll get the menus and you'll get the previews of the whole thing it yeah the bonuses recreates. and the extras and just like you put the dvd in yeah yeah exactly so uh, so it does that in about 20 25 30 minutes depending on the the movie that you're ripping yeah. Uh, which is significantly faster than what Hazel takes to encode a file to an M4 V file. Yeah, ham- sorry, Handbrake. Yes, yeah. Handbrake. Uh, Handbrake takes about 90 minutes to encode the, the movie. So in the time that you would encode one movie, you can have Handbrake doing the encoding, and then meanwhile, rip it, you could have done you know three movies in the background. And then yeah. what's great about that is uh, Handbrake does the batch processing. Yeah. So, and, and Handbrake is another app that uh, I believe it's open source. It's on, it's definitely multi-platform. I know there's a version on windows. Um, and 
and it, what it does, it will take that that file from Rip It, and it will analyze the contents of it, and it will show you, you know, and it does a pretty good job of finding the the one that is the actual movie file, and then it will turn that into something that's friendly to iTunes that iTunes can open, and it's going to strip out all of the extra features and everything. It's just going to give you the movie. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to make just the movie. You can also pull out the extra features. If you've got like sometimes with the DVDs that my kids have, they actually want to watch them and you can just look in there. You'll see a file that is one hour and 50 minutes and that's probably the movie. And then there's uh, two or three files that are like 15 minutes and you're going to assume those are some of the bonus features and you can use um, handbrake to pull those out. Now with respect to the speed, it's very relative to the speed of your Mac. I, cause I did this on an ancient computer for a long time. And I remember those days of, of setting handbrake to go and then like coming back two hours and it was still working on it. And then when I got this new iMac, um, it's about two years old now. It, it will um, run a handbrake of a movie out of a rip it, you know, file in about 20 to 30 minutes. It's about the same speed as handbrake. So it really is relative to the speed of your Mac. I don't think I, I don't think rip it speeds up very much with a fast Mac, but handbrake definitely does. Well, there you go. So maybe I should have just bought a new Mac. Well, of course, that's always the solution. <laughs> that, that's, that's always, always the, answer, the yeah. solution. What was I thinking? Yeah. So I would just have rip it. Um, you know, I would have all these DVD files. And since my uh, internal storage on the MacBook Pro was only the 128 gigs, I actually had an external plugged in through the Firewire 800 port. If you guys remember those, uh, they that? used to come. They used to come understand. on all the Macs. Firewire what? 800 is amazing. Firewire. What is that? Is that like a floppy? Is that like floppy? It's yeah. It's very similar. Okay. Yeah, it's very similar to floppy. And uh, you. So I would rip to this external drive because the the disk images are the the whole data of the the DVD. So it's six, seven, eight gigabytes. Yeah. So and for each one, you got like a seven, eight gigabyte file from the rip it file, and then you're making a three or four gigabyte or maybe less for the file that you, you're ripping for the computer to put in iTunes. Yeah, my handbrake videos ended up being about uh, about a gig, give or take. Yeah. Um, and then I just had the there's an Apple iTunes or you know, Apple TV. Three was the preset I was using for the the most recent Apple TV model. Yeah, when you're, just, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Go I ahead. just said that's that that was that's all. Yeah, so when you're when you're running this in um, Handbrake, there's a little like uh, window that opens on the right side, a, a preset window, and they've got a bunch of options in there. So you can set it for. Um, uh, Apple TV three, like Sean's talking about, you can set it for iPad. I set it for universal and I think the files come out a little bigger. It's not, um, it, it is that way. It is not, um, made exactly for the Apple TV so much as it's made for pretty much any Apple device. You plug into it because my kids are always watching these things on their iPads, but I want to watch on the Apple TV as well. And um, a long time ago, I had run some tests, and that one seemed like the best. And I've never looked at it again in like three years since I figured that out. But you're using Apple TV three, yeah. Now, Katie, when you run Handbrake, how do you encode? You know, guys, I'll be honest with you. I don't rip a lot of DVDs. Do you rip any? Not really. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot of reason to. The DVDs that I buy now all have the uh, the iTunes extra. And I don't watch a lot of movies over and over and over again. I mean, the ones that I do, I've got, you know, the Blu-ray collector sets for and, you know, those you can't rip with that kind of stuff. And yeah, 
I've either, um, you know, I've either got the iTunes extras or, you know, I'm just, I'm a renter. I'll pick up something at the Red Box or I'll rent it on, you know, just this past weekend. I, I rented um, Skyfall, whatever it was, on uh, Apple TV. I just can't get over the convenience of renting it and being done with it. Yeah, my um, my my 16-year-old is into Downton Abbey, which is a show that a lot of people are into. And, and so for Christmas, she got a bunch of the DVDs as Christmas presents. And she's totally got this wired down now. So she's in here ripping out the individual episodes from her DVD set. So then when she travels, she can put it on her iPad. Yeah. Well, I'll talk a little bit about what I do because I use a lot of Hulu and Netflix and or uh, Hulu and Amazon Prime. And I, I would kind of agree but... with that. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that to a certain extent, though, because I don't have a Blu-ray player. And when I want to see something in the high def anymore, I'm getting so... I just buy it from iTunes and then it's, it's a done deal. I can watch it on all my stuff and it's um, not that much more. Yeah. I didn't rip any of my Blu-rays cause I mean that stuff, it's like, that's like one of the areas that physical media still, at least in my opinion, still really shines over the digital stuff. Yeah. There's a few of those things you get, you know, get the Blu-ray version and it's just, it's just so much, so much better yeah. than the digital streamed over your internet. All right. So, but let's get through this now. So we've got through step two. Uh, step one was rip it. Step two is handbrake. And then step three is, is you've got a file at the end of step two that you can just drop into your iTunes library. And it's going to be a file that is readable by iTunes that it can play on your Apple TV or your other devices, depending on how you encode it. But it's not going to have like the cover art and the name of the you know directors and the actors and all the other information about it. So you're using an app to do that. Yeah. Well, can we back up real quick? Yeah, please. The, the, the encoding thing. One of the advantages of using Ripit, I think, well, maybe we already said it, so I can't remember. But one of the advantages of using Ripit and Handbrake together is that you can do this batch processing of your your files. Yeah. So you, you have Ripit do a whole bunch, and then in Handbrake, there's a, an option to set like the queue. You can go in there and you can pick four, five, six, however many DVDs you've ripped so far that haven't yet been encoded. And then you automate the whole thing so that you say, okay, do these six, and it might take it. In my case, you know, it would take nine hours to do it, so I would just set it before I go to bed. And, uh, it, you know, it might be halfway through by the time I get up or something like that. It just takes forever. But then also, so it'll do that. And then what we're getting into now is all the metadata. You can also have Handbrake send the files to this app we use for the metadata stuff called Identify. And that's what adds, you know, Dave, like you are saying, that adds the artwork. It adds, you know, who directed it, who acted in it, when did it come out. Um, you know, if it's a television show, is this, you know, disc one of seven or something like that and the different episodes and things like that. And it now usually can... Yeah, I'm sorry. I was gonna it ask. usually finds it all by itself. That's the piece I'm not familiar with. Can handbrake output to something else, or is it identify that pulls it in? Because I wasn't sure that you could have handbrake then pass on to something else. How do you do that? Yeah, piece? you can. You do in the uh, in the handbrake uh, you know settings. It says after this file has been encoded, you know, do you want to do something with it? And you say, yeah, actually, open it up in this other file, and then you can you know choose an application. And so I chose identify. And then the file basically gets saved to the disk, and then Handbrake tells Identify to open it up. Identify opens it up, and then the version of Identify that I used, which uh, I got off the Mac App Store, which is apparently outdated versus, I think there's a newer one that's available for free on their website somewhere that has a lot of really cool options. Um, what ended up with me is they would all get tossed into Identify, but then they would just sit there. 
And so then I had to go in and manually click, you know, okay, now look up all the information and now save it. And then once I had it saved, then I had a, a Hazel rule that would then take those files and then drop them into iTunes for me. Now, I use um, another app. I, I guess, are you happy with Identify? That would be my first question. I, I was kind of happy with it. It did. It mostly did the job. There was a, if I had trouble, if, if Identify had trouble finding the metadata for a file, then I'd look it up on Internet Movie Database. And then right there in the URL, there's sort of like a, like the ID IMDB code is kind of sitting right there and you can grab that out of the URL and paste that into identify. And then that basically says, okay, this is the movie I'm trying to get you to look up. And then you kind of hit refresh and it'll, it'll find it for you. And then you hit save. Um, So I was mostly happy with it, but since I only did about 32 DVDs, it was, uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. And the one I use is called iFlix and, um, I bought it a long time ago. I bought it before there was a Mac app store. Now they've got a version in the Mac app store and the workflow is a little different for iFlix as at least as I use it is you, you put the movie into your iTunes library and then you pull it out and put it in iFlix from iTunes and then it'll go find the metadata and attach it and you press a button and it updates. I think what it does is it wraps the movie in a package with the metadata and then kind of replaces it in iTunes and it, it works just fine. I guess we should say that, you know, I don't know about the legality of this stuff. I only do it with DVDs that I pay for. Um, I guess some people would argue that you're not even allowed to rip movies that you've paid for, but I do rip movies that I've paid for. Uh, um, I got an email from a guy that was that that said that it is legal. He worked like he's studying copyright law. So, I you know, yeah. I take his word for it, I suppose. And he said, not only is it legal, but then I can, if I wanted to, I could go ahead and sell all my DVDs on eBay. And I was like, really? I thought so, like I had something to. Something about that doesn't sound right. I, I, yeah, I said, I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, do I, I guess if it's not illegal, we're all in trouble because here we are talking well, I about know. it. I don't know. I, I, I certainly would not do it with a movie that I hadn't paid for. I, I just feel like people should get paid for the stuff they make. Um, but the, um, there's a lot of lawyers from personal experience that are convinced they're right and are not. So <laughs> <laughs> remember uh, 50% of the lawyers lose in court. Yeah. But the, um, either Is way, it, I, isn't, isn't everyone pretty much just convinced they're right. I mean, I don't think you have to be a lawyer. Yeah. But right, lawyers, have lawyers a, are, are off, are always convinced they're right. Yeah. Not all of them, but there, there's some, it, it attracts a certain personality sometimes that is lends itself to um, having trouble accepting that they might be wrong. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think we're going off course again, Katie. Yeah. All right. You want another sponsor? Or shall I move us on to a different topic? Um, well, you. I know you're doing a little stuff. You were talking yeah. about Plex. Yeah. Let's, let's keep on the same topic. Actually, Sean was going to talk about Plex. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons that I bought this Mac Mini to begin with is because I, I bought this at the same time I cut my cable. And it was uh, – I'll be honest. It was an excuse. I wanted – I wanted a Mac mini and it was kind of my reward to myself for cutting my cable. Okay. All this money that I'm going to save by cutting my cable, I'm not going to immediately turn around and spend by buying all these toys that, and my justification for it was this Mac mini is going to help me cut my cable bill and save all this money. Yeah, kind of, that was kind of true. What I have learned is that it really didn't need to, and I've used other sources to find content, but the Mac mini I I do use for, you know, supplemental content on, um, you know, supplemental media content, because 
it is this 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 computer that's connected to my TV. And keep in mind that when I bought it and I set it up, we didn't have as extensive use of AirPlay as we do now. You know, AirPlay Mountain Lion was announced, so we didn't have AirPlay built into Mountain Lion. We didn't know that it was coming. Um, and, you know, we didn't have all these ways to get around AirPlay uh, restrictions that we, we do now. And a lot of the apps weren't offering as, as good an AirPlay support as they are now. So, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been able to talk myself into buying this Mac Mini if all of the services that were available now were available then. You know, Hulu wasn't on the Apple TV then. And so a lot of things. But I, I use my Mac Mini quite a bit um, for watching shows off of network websites. So if my TiVo misses something or if the cable cuts out or, you know, if a sports event runs long and I miss the first 30 minutes or the last 30 minutes of something, um, rather than immediately go and buy that show off of iTunes, like, yeah, I'm kind of frugal. I'll, I'll go see if it's available from the network website first. Or um, a, there's, a, there's a handful of shows that when I cut my cable, I lost access to, particularly shows on the ABC network that I like. And I have found that those shows are available, interestingly enough, on Hulu, but not on Hulu Plus. So the only way for me to watch those shows on a TV screen is to watch them through a computer. Now, again, now I could watch them on my MacBook Air and AirPlay them through my Apple TV to my, to my big screen. But when I set this up, that that wasn't an option. So that was one of the uses that I used for for my home Mac, just plugged into the big screen TV. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So you can you can stream and save your media and you can use the server itself to do all the encoding. But you don't have to. I mean you could encode this stuff on your everyday like you've got a laptop and it's got a faster processor and you were in a hurry, you could you could encode it through handbrake on your laptop and just move the file over. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. And then, right. Sean, I know you added to the outline that you were using Plex so that you can, um, you know, watch your media from multiple devices. I, I use a similar service that I've talked about. I, I run Air Video Server or video, Air Video on my um, Mac Mini that ties into my iTunes media and will allow me to pick that up outside my network. I think Plex does yeah. similar things. Um, yeah, actually, I don't use it, but it was uh, when I was talking about the setting up my Mac Media server a while back on you know Twitter and on App.net. Everyone, like, it seemed like one out of three people was recommending Plex, um, partly because you can access uh, basically it's like an app that you install. From my understanding of it, it's like an iTunes replacement, and you would put all it. It kind of serves your media up, and then you can you know watch it from your iPad anywhere. In the world, if you got an internet connection, you kind of remote into your your media server through Plex, through the Plex app, um, and things like that. But it doesn't work with my Apple TV, and that right. was a big that was a big deal breaker for me. Right. But right. it's really cool. I think some people might might be interested, so I thought we should have it in the show notes. That's why. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we want to dig into some of the geekier things, perhaps the, some of the things you haven't thought about doing with a Mac home server, including automation and. Um, you know, handling, doing some of the heavy lifting while you're away. But before we do, let's talk about our second sponsor. And that's a new sponsor for Mac Power users. And that is Shutterstock.com. And Shutterstock.com is where you find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, video clips, and more. You can go to Shutterstock.com and search to find the perfect image for your website, publication, or any other creative project. I know uh, we're doing a new website for my office and we're looking for stock photography. And I've opened up a Shutterstock account to try to figure out was there some stuff that we can use? And we ended up finding some stuff that we can use for not only our website, but for brochures and some other branding stuff that we're doing. 
So Shutterstock gives you a global image collection to find images from across the world to suit your product. You can choose between image packs or a monthly subscription package, whatever fits your needs and whatever fits your project. You don't ever have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, they can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new. And since they add 10,000 new images a day, that's right, 10,000, um, and it's more affordable than you think, there's no extra charge for those large files that you're going to want now with all these retina screens that we have. You can download any image in any size and only pay one price. They won't nickel and dime you for the high-resolution images. And if you need to use them for uh, uh, video, or excuse me, if you need to use them uh, for swag or something, you can get an extended license that will let you do that too. Uh, you can save and clip out your favorite images and use them in your Lightbox gallery when you search so that you can browse on your iPad. There's an app for that. And, um, you know, create a gallery, show it off to your friends, see what images you're going to like. I know that's what we've been doing with our website. And then pick the ones you want and go ahead and pick them up. Uh, they have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, video clips, and anything you need. You can find it at Shutterstock.com, and you can get an account rep dedicated to help you for any questions that you may have uh, featuring 24-hour support anytime during the week. So, David, you I know you use a lot of this type of stuff for the various Max Sparky field guides you've been doing. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely getting hooked up with Shutterstock. I I want to see uh, what they've got. Yeah. Uh, you can go pick up a free account over at Shutterstock.com, no credit card required. Uh, when you find the images you like, stick them in your light box, browse on your iPad, whatever you want. When you decide to purchase, use the offer code MAC2, that's M-A-C and the number 2, and you'll get 30% off your package. So thanks to Shutterstock for their support of the show. All right, so we've talked about media. Let's talk about mail. Um, you know, if you've got a Mac sitting in your home running all the time, um, Apple has got some really robust mail rules. And this is the equalizer for me uh, whenever the um, the Google Mail guys come up to me and say, well, hey, you know, Apple Mail won't work for me because I run all these great rules. Like I have a rule that says if this person from this PR agency sends me an email, turn it to flame and um, – you know, send it up to the heavens and uh, you, you can create. <laughs> Wait a that. minute. I may switch if Google mail will turn something into flame. Yeah. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. I would, I would pay money to see that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, the digital representation of flame, take each bit and just rip it apart. You turn every one into a zero. Send it, it through the, the door with the magnets. Yes. Yes. Send it into the magnet house. <laughs> uh, but either way, uh, so you can do that using a server at home. So if you've got Apple mail running, you could make a rule that says, if I ever get email from that guy, David sparks, take it and, and delete it and then empty the trash and then send him a reply that says, please never send me an email ever, ever again. You know, you can do that with Apple mail rules. And the only thing holding you back is you don't have a mail client running all the time to keep track of that stuff. So if you just have a laptop and the laptop's lid is shut and that rule doesn't run, you open your iPhone and you still get that email from that guy sparks. Whereas if you've got a Mac at home running full time and you've got the mail open, um, that rule will, will fire off, um, whatever, you know, at any time. So then when you open your phone, all that stuff's already been covered for you. Yeah. And, and I found that, uh, the, the rules within Apple's mail app itself on, on OS 10 are, I mean, you can just bend them any way you want. And there's so much you can do with those mail rules you know, plus a lot of the, the add-ons as well with the mail act on and things like that, that, um, you, there's a lot you can do that you d can't necessarily do with server side rules, especially if you use iCloud. 
iCloud server side rules I, I I find to be lacking. That's the understatement, really. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty. I think there's one thing you can do with it. If an email comes from Sparks, delete it or something <laughs> like that. I mean, but you can't run all these other things in the background. And um, and the Apple Mail rules. If you go into Preferences and Mail, and there's a little Rules tab. If you click there. Uh, creating a new rule is not that hard. It's a lot like running Hazel, you know, so you can say if it comes from, from a specific recipient or it's on a certain date or it has an account name in it, or if the sender is not in your contact list, or if he is in a certain contact list like PR people. So you can get very creative with this stuff with a little bit of work. Uh, and the key to all of this is that you've got it running 24 seven which is the problem on my home server is that once in a while, somebody will come sit down at this iMac and say, oh, I want to run Final Cut right now, so I'm just going to close everything else. And then mail closes, and then all of a sudden my rules go crazy. Or actually my rules stop working, and I go crazy. And that's just because somebody shut it down. My solution to that, by the way, was to set up a um, a keyboard maestro script that just re- reopens mail like every couple minutes. That's very clever. That is clever. Well, can't I think do I do a, a same a similar thing with Lingon. Yeah, I think Lingon will ought to do that. So, Sean, besides um, deleting David's messages and sending him nasty return reply emails, do you do anything really creative with your mail rules? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, I think as creative as I can be in terms of keeping everything out of my inbox that I don't need to see. Um, so, anything that is well, I've got one. Um, yeah, I use a, a app called deliveries and it's run by these guys june cloud oh love and, that uh, love that oh yeah and it tracks all your stuff and i i mean i i probably get two or three things from amazon a week it seems like um because we do i mean we even do some of our grocery shopping from amazon it's it's pretty intense and so i just automatically anything that comes from amazon it forwards it to to my my own june cloud uh email address and then they it automatically gets added to the deliveries app with their kind of their cloud service Wait, we're so going to talk about that because I didn't even know you could do that. And I love the deliveries app. So yeah, you can, it's great. You, well, can, you yeah. can email an Amazon order to – I know this is a little off topic from the home server thing, but not not too far. We're going there anyway. You can, you can email them something and they want – Yeah, it. well, because if you're using the, the app, then you've uh, likely set up – because it'll sync. Right. There's a dashboard widget for OS X and then there's the right. iPhone app, the iPad app. And so you've got a, a June Cloud account right. with them. So you're using their cloud server. And then uh, if you go in, if you log in and whatever their website is, uh, you know, we can put in the show notes you go in. Yeah. And then you log in there and then there's uh, information about how to send them an email. And so you, if you get your, your Amazon, you know, your Amazon.com order of, you know, whatever coconut oil has shipped. Right. And so you just set up a mail rule that says if the subject includes Amazon.com and then has shipped with exclamation mark, just forward it to June cloud and then put it in my archive. And then I get a notification that says, you know, hey, this uh, this item is, you know, being processed. It's in, you know, Kentucky or wherever. It's in Alaska or something like That's that. That's amazing. And uh, and yeah, and then so you, so then I never have to deal with that email, and it automatically gets dropped right into it. And uh, they're pretty good about grabbing the actual the product name and uh, and the UPS tracking code. Because yeah, I was always doing that manually. Like I just put one in yesterday. Uh, notification of shipping 12,000 electromagnets. And um, I had to do that manually. It was really a pain. Yeah, that's rough. And apparently if you own Delivery Status Touch, which is the iOS version, or if you've donated $5 or more to them, you can now add a shipment by forwarding your order confirmation to a special tracking number. 
That's awesome. I'm and then, yeah, that it's up. great. And all, then right, all, all these receipts, right? For a while, I'm gonna no. Go ahead. And you guys probably get you know I I mean every time I buy something from iTunes, I get a receipt. You know, Amazon. Um, those are kind of the two big ones for me, and so I just have those auto filed into uh, just into a, a receipts folder. Yeah, so and then I never have to look at them. An Apple Mail rule to put that in receipts folder, and then you're also forwarding the, doing an auto forward to your June Cloud email. Did yeah, for that anything right? that yeah anything from Amazon uh, that's you know that's shipping because yeah. Amazon will send you two one that'll send you you know hey thanks for your purchase kind of your your purchase confirmation. Right. And it'll send you another that says your item is shipped. And I never see either of those. They both get auto-filed away. Um, and then if I ever need to find them, I know where to go look for them. But, I mean, I, I clicked buy. I know that I purchased it. And, and the, the trick to this is, I think, not to sit down and make up uh, 500 email rules the first time you set this up. It's every time you see an email that comes in that you don't want to see as an inbox, something that can be automated, then you automate it. And... Um, I, what I do is I put them in the action folder and then I look at it and I'm like, Oh, okay. Why is this here? Like I buy stuff occasionally from Land's End and they're, they're legendary about sending all these discount coupons and I don't want them, you know, but the, uh, the same time I do like getting email from Land's End. So I set up a rule that looks for language in their discount emails and it deletes them, but other things from Land's End goes to an archive and the first time I did it, it took me a couple minutes, but now I never see those emails. They're just gone. And what's great about doing all these mail rules using uh, Apple's mail app is that you, I set them up on my MacBook Air and they, over iCloud, they'll sync to yeah. my MacBook Pro server or the, you the media You don't need server. to be sitting at the server to create the rule. And, yeah. and in effect, what happens is these, this rule is running in the background. And uh, so when you open your iPhone, um, and it goes to check the mail, um, it's already handled. You, you don't see it. Exactly. That's that's the beauty. That's what I like. Wow. All right. Well, I have kind of a, a similar set of rules, and it's it's no one rule in particular, but I've created, and I'm, I, I wrote about this on my blog post a little bit, um, a, a low-priority inbox. And it took me a while to figure out that that was something that was going to be okay. And I have tried to go through like you and auto archive and auto deal with as many messages as I possibly can. But there are certain messages that I still need to deal with, but that I don't need cluttering up my inbox. There, there's stuff that can wait to the weekend or stuff that can wait until I'm going through and processing email and I don't need to do with deal with them immediately. So I've created an inbox that's just called review. And I know that anything that goes in there is low priority. And if I only catch it a couple of times a week, it's okay. And so I've created a series of rules based on certain criteria. And whenever I get an email that I think needs to go into that review email box, I'll go in there and I'll create another rule um, and I'll stick it in the review inbox. I, there's a rule I really like, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the show before, but 126 episodes, give me a break. Um, the uh, I've got a, a relative who's who's kind of sick and old and uh, her neighbor is a kind of a friend of the family. And she sends off these crazy, crazy forwarded political emails and emails about cats and things that I have no interest in. And normally a person like that, I immediately just delete. you know, I just said, if an email comes from that person, send a trash. That's my rule. Uh, it works great. But because this person is next to a relative who's old and sickly, I always worry that, 
she's going to send me an email saying, oh, so-and-so has a problem and I really need you to help out. Uh, so I don't want to miss that email. So I set up this rule. That, and I was, so I looked at the stuff she forwards and she always forwards it to like everyone in her entire uh, you know, address book. So I found a couple names in there that show up on every one she creates are people who I have no idea who they are. So the rule is if it comes from person X and it's also copied to persons Y and Z, delete it. But if it comes from persons X and is not to anybody else, then, then send it through. Cause I would assume that if she's sending me something that I actually need to read, that it's not going to be copied to these people. I don't know. Hopefully. Yeah. And if, if not, then, you know, I guess I'm in trouble. But I have my magnets. <laughs> All twelve thousand. You've of got them? your magnets. That's just the first order. I'm just getting started. That's that's just for the the bathroom upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> that's for my inner sanctum. <laughs> Wait <What>? a second. <laughs> Never mind. Just continue, please. <laughs> oh God. All right. So this is this is the beauty of IMAP, right? Is that you filter something once on your machine and it gets filtered down to all of your devices. Because as smart as our smartphones are, as smart as these wonderful iOS devices, magical things that are that we carry around in our, our pockets and purses and man bags and whatever it is you guys carry around, um, they don't do on-device email filtering. So that's what we need these um, you know Mac servers running at home doing. But it's more than just filtering your Amazon shipments and the email from your crazy aunt and all of this other stuff that we do. It's also filtering spam. I can't tell you how many people have asked me, how do I filter through? I'm getting a bunch of spam on my iPhone. And this is the answer to that question, because as much as I, you know, Apple mail spam filtering sucks. Can we just say that? Um, I don't even understand it. It's got this junk mail thing you're supposed to turn on. And yeah, but but fortunately, there's spam C for iOS. Yes, there is spam C for iOS. And the way you work that is you set it up on a Mac at home and have an IMAP account. <laughs> That's exactly how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. So, so spam sieve, it seems like that's like the universal app on the Mac. There's, you know, usually we do a show, we'll say, well, there's two or three apps and you may want this one. You may want that one. No, that, there isn't that situation here. You just go buy a copy of spam sieve if you've got a problem with spam on your Mac. And like Katie was saying, if you've got it running on your home server, it's going to be filtering all your junk mail out um, and it's going to be gone when you open up on your iPad or your iPhone. Once again, you know, like Sean was saying, you, you don't want to open your inbox and have 70 emails in which there are buried three or four that you really need to see and a bunch of others that you don't. And, uh, and this allows you to get around that. Because then you just got to leave them there and then go home, open up your laptop, let mail ro run. And then, you know, the 67 get filed away. But in the meantime, you're, you're having to wade through them on your iPhone. Yeah. And I, I know that I get impatient with it. When I, right now, my work server, we had a problem and our spam server went down at work for the last two weeks. And it's crazy. I get like, you know, 40 emails a day from, from spam related stuff mixed in with four or five really important emails from like lawyers and clients. And what I want to do is just go through and start, you know, machine gunning the whole inbox. And as a result, I'm going to end up deleting something that I really need to see. So this allows you to avoid that, that madness. Okay. So you can run a mail server and I think that's, um, something that's really worth doing. I mean, that's a good reason to keep an old Mac around and that doesn't have any real serious, um, 
you know, um, processor, you know, drain, or you don't have to have a big NAS drive attached. It's just your IMAP account. So you can do that on just about any Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about a, a, another sponsor and that's Fujitsu. And uh, when we were at um, Mac world, Fujitsu was there and all these Mac power users listeners were, were coming up and showing me their boxes. Cause everybody's buying me these IX 500s. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, great. You know, I hope they like them. And, and they do because I'm getting emails from all the people that bought them at Macworld telling me how much they love their new ScanSnap. And so the, the ScanSnap IX500 is really an incredible scanner. It's uh, it's the replacement for the S1500. It works on both the PC and the Mac. So you've got that covered now. It's got its own um, wireless networking chip built into it. So you basically plug it into your Mac and then connect it to your wireless network. And then after that, if you want, you don't have to scan on your Mac anymore. You can just stick a piece of paper in there and open up your iPhone or your iPad and use the ScanSnap app and scan directly to your iOS device, which is pretty awesome. Um, the uh, The way they run the uh, software is better. They improve the ScanSnap software for the Mac. So now uh, there's a lot of improvements, making it easier to save directly to your favorite cloud service like Dropbox or Evernote or SugarSync or whatever floats your boat. And mechanically, the device got better. It's even better than it ever has been in terms of capturing, you know, when it when it catches two sheets instead of one uh, and it'll let you know, and it's faster. I mean, this thing is remarkably fast. And uh, thanks to all the, the Mac power users listeners, I've been getting a ton of emails from people that are so happy with their purchase. And I'm always glad to hear that because it's a significant investment, but boy, getting yourself one of these IX 500s, it is going to tear through your paper. It's just a great device to have. Yeah. And you know, I also want to say it, it was really nice and thank you to the Mac power users listeners who went by this, this Fujitsu booth at Macworld and, and and told the people, hey, you know, I bought a ScanSnap because I heard about you on Mac Power Users. And um, that really means a lot, and that really helps out the show. So thank you for doing that, too, because the Fujitsu people said, wow, here's Mac Power User fans. They're really kind of crazy about this paperless thing, aren't they? Well, they get it. They it's, get it's it. It's really important. It's yeah. really important, and it's only going to get it harder. So you might as well get yourself set up with a good document scanner, and uh, I can't think of a better one than the X500 from ScanSnap. So go check it out, and if you do get one, please do let them know with a tweet or a message or something that you heard about it through us. Right, and uh, thank you to ScanSnap for their continued support of Mac Power users. All right, so then there's this kind of realm of automation and, um, you know, we talked about automation in the sense of email automation, but there's all of this other Mac geekery that I think our listeners will particularly enjoy. Um, and, and it's because of our beloved Hazel, I think. And Sean, you touched on this a bit on your post, but you do some really creative things with Dropbox and Hazel that allow you to do a lot of heavy lifting on your Mac running at home when you're on the go with your iPad. Yeah, absolutely. That was... um that kind of ended up being one of like the, I don't know, like the, the secret gems of, of setting up a, a, a media server. Cause I was originally just going to do for the iTunes stuff. And then I started, you know, you kind of get into this and you start thinking, Oh, you know, I could, I bet I could automate this. I bet I could set this up and I could do this. And it's just this rabbit trail where you just kind of get lost. So I set up this, uh, Hazel rule that basically, um, part of the, part of my website, one of the things that I do is uh, I have a, a membership where people can sign up. And then one of the perks for members is I have this daily podcast. It's called Sean today. And it's usually like four or five minutes long. And I record it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And, 
Tuesdays is my day out of the house. I'm always out of the house on Tuesdays. And I usually am not able to record the show until later just because, um, you know, I, I get out of the house and then I'm, I'm out and I, I, you know, I record it from my phone, but I can't upload it to Amazon S3 and then get the, the audio file there, put it into the podcast feed and post it. That's really, there's no apps to do that from iOS in terms of uploading to Amazon and things like that. And so I uh, came across this Python script from a friend of mine, Gabe Weatherhead. He kind of had heard about my trouble. So he's like a, a Python master. And he wrote this script that basically will will grab an audio file and then upload it to Amazon S3. And then uh, it can copy what the, the public URL for that file is. And so what the script does is I use an app on my iPhone that's called DropVox with a V. And it just takes your audio voice memo, whatever it is, and it records it and drops it directly into Dropbox. And then I've got this Hazel rule running on the Mac media server. Basically, when a new audio file gets added to that folder, it, it takes it. It's able to add uh, artwork. You can use Python to actually add um, album artwork. So just like a real podcast, where you download the MP3 and then you see the cover art. Uh, it's there. So it adds the artwork, uploads it to Amazon S3, and then it copies the public URL and then it goes into my Dropbox folder that I have synced with uh, Simple Note, which is what I use for all my notes on the go. And it goes into one of the notes in there, appends the URL, pastes it in there, and then it sends me a text message saying, hey, your file's ready. And then I can open up Simple Note, and there's the URL for uh, for the audio file. And then I can go in and I use uh, an app called Poster, which is what I use to post for... Uh, for the podcast feed. Cause it's just a, it's a WordPress site, you know, transformed into podcast feed. And uh, I can do that all from my iPhone and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Which, it, it's super nerdy. Of course. No, that was great. And you know, Gabe, Gabe has been on the show before and uh, he also does a podcast called generational, which is really good over on 70 decibels. Um, but yeah, he's just a really smart guy. And it's interesting because you have all these pieces in place and I kind of look at it like a, uh, like Lego, where you've got these building blocks and the building blocks are a constantly aware file storage system on every system, which is Dropbox. And then you've got a constantly watching application to manage files, which is Hazel. And then you can add more to that. Like I was thinking if this, then that would be another thing you could maybe do something interesting with. If you had a server, but if you had a Mac on all time, you know, where it could be, monitoring things for you and send a message and create a Dropbox file. It, it, very quickly, you can see there's pipes to do a lot of things without any action by yourself. So all you're doing really with your, um, with your rule is you're recording a Dropbox file and saving it to a particular folder. And then the computer goes off and does so much of this for you after that. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very unique use. I mean, not everybody listening to this is going to be po posting a daily podcast and need to do it from a distance. But I thought that that's a really good sample of, or a good, good example, I guess would be the better word, of how far you can go with this stuff with a, just a little bit of trickery. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and the key to this is, is really with, with Hazel or with mail rules or whatever it is you have set up, you, know, you can do this to do uh, just about anything. You know, for example, you can have um, an email that you send to yourself or to you that you forward to yourself with a specific subject. Um, you can have the file get pulled out and put in your Dropbox. So this can kind of be a way to get around 
to, to email yourself files into your Dropbox. I mean, this has been, you know, something that we've, a lot of people have always wanted in Dropbox, but, and uh, some third parties have come along with this service, but it gets kind of questionable as to whether or not that's secure. And are you emailing these people, your files and what's going on with it? But if you've got your own Mac running at home, you know, it, it's, you can set that up to yourself where you can email yourself your file, set up a mail rule to process that file and then tell Hazel to throw it in your Dropbox. Yeah. yeah that, this that You can go a long way with this stuff if you really start digging at it. And I, I think like uh, photo processing, I know people do that where they set up a rule where if a new photo shows up in Dropbox because you can automate that from your phone, then make a copy of it and place it into my Aperture library using Hazel. And they've got all these things they do to take all the work out of it. Like we have the sponsor, you know, that we're talking now uh, with a offsite file storage, you know, um, transporter. So you could, you could do that with a home server and set up rules to automatically copy those files over and do things. I mean, it's, it's really um, quite remarkable how far this can go. Yeah. And it's, it, I think it's kind of fun too. It yeah, just, it, it's make things, makes things easier to use, uh, get stuff out of your hair. You know, uh, when your kids are in the back seat and they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know how kids are like that. Um, your Mac is like that too, but it does it like every millisecond. Is there a file there now? How about now? How about now? It's always watching. And as soon as you put something there, it runs off and does whatever you tell it to. And you don't need to be a computer programmer to figure this stuff out. It's it's very basic once you understand you know, how to set up a rules-based um, system, which you need for mail or Hazel or any of these other processes. But the uh, the programmers and designers behind these apps make it easy enough that just about anybody can get in and set these things up. Yeah, well, and it's all natural language. So, you know, it's, if, if it's an audio file, then change the name to be this. Like that's, it's uh, it's it's very easy to set up with Hazel and, and things like that. You don't have to, you know, type in code. Or if you are looking for code, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. You can just, just Google search and yeah. find, you know, example, Apple scripts or, or Python scripts and things like that. And then Hazel will run them right from within the app itself. Yeah. Um, and there's more than just simple Dropbox and Hazel automation that you can do. There are a lot of other things you can do with a home server. Um, I've talked a lot about backup and backup is of huge importance to me. And I do a lot of backup with my Mac home server, not only backup of my own devices and my own stuff, but I have other people backing up to me. You know, crash plan has kind of been my go-to device for cloud backups, but I've got a lot of family members that I can't get for whatever reason um, to back up to the cloud. Either they don't want to pay the price, although it's dirt cheap, it's like $5 a month or cheaper if you you pay for it, or maybe they don't have enough stuff to justify it, but but they've got more than maybe you can throw into a Dropbox account or something. I've just installed CrashPlan on their computer, installed CrashPlan on my home server, set them to back up to me because using the free crash plan app, it's completely free for two people to install the free version and back up to a friend. So I'm the friend they back up to me. I've, I, you know, I think I've got, you know, 50 or 60 gigabytes of backups from various family members across uh, the state where they're backing up their home folder. They may not even know it, but they're backing up their home folder to my server that's sitting here in my house. And I do that more for my sanity than for anything else, because when something goes wrong, guess whose job it is to make it right? Yeah, yeah that's smart. That's smart. And then um, we also talked about Printopia, which is a great 
product from Ecamm software, and it it turns any attached printer to your Mac into an iOS-friendly printer. So let's say you've got an older printer. It's not got the AirPrint functionality built into it. You're, it basically turns your Mac into an AirPrint server. But then it does more than that because in addition to printing to the attached printer, it can also print to PDF. So if you're on your home network, you can very easily save an email to, to PDF using Printopia, but you have to have a Mac running to make it work. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Printopia. Yeah. Those guys were at Macworld, and uh, Ecamm's great. I mean, we use them every show. I mean, we're, I'm running it right now, their Skype call recorder, to, to make this happen. But but Printopia is, if you've got a Mac in your house running, and you've got any iOS device, and you've got a printer, just get it. Yeah. Um, taking a step back to the backup for a minute, you can also use your home server to back yourself up, not just as an inbound backup for other people. Um, I use a service that we've talked about on the show a lot, and we had the opportunity to meet the developer at Macworld called CloudPull. It's available in the Mac App Store. And, you know, David, with the show, we're using Google Docs more and more. And the question is, you know, what happens if that information gets accidentally deleted or it goes away or whatever? Um, so CloudPull is a service that will back up your your Google information. So I've got CloudPull running on that Mac server because, you know, maybe my machine isn't always on. I know CloudPull is always on, or excuse me, I know my server is always on. So I run I, I run those types of services that I want to kind of be always on and running in the background, specifically on this Mac mini server, number one, to keep my main machine, you know, lean, clean, and mean, and just so I know that they're always going. Um, and then I also use, um, I have started using Carbon Copy Cloner, but you can use Chronosync, you can use SuperDuper, you can use whatever you want. I have attached a three terabyte external hard drive to my Mac mini server, and I'm using a carbon copy cloner script to back up my Drobo to my Mac mini server, because as redundant as the Drobo is, it's still a single source of failure. If it gets a lightning zap or something like that, that box could die. Um, So I'm backing up all the data on my Drobo to that external hard drive. I um, actually came across a script just recently that I haven't set up yet, but I'd like to. Uh, from you guys might know him, Doctor Drang. Yeah. We love uh, Doctor Drang. <laughs> so as, his, as uh, scarily horrifying as a snowman can be. Yeah, yeah he, he changed that. Though. His uh, he's, he's always a, new, a snowman uh, to me. Thing on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always a snowman to me too. Yeah. Well, hey, once you see, you can never unsee it. I guess. <laughs> we and. Uh, we said, yeah, he wrote this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you, I was going to say something not that important. Okay. So he wrote this script, his uh, you know website, leancrew.com, and he's got a script on there that basically will uh, mount an external hard drive you know, at a specified time, so you know, 2 a.m. or whatever. Mount your external hard drive, run super duper backup, and then once it's finished, unmount the hard drive. And uh, so that's something that you know I haven't yet gotten uh, that far to automating the backups of my Mac Media Server, but that'd be a great way to do it because yeah. then you've got your external hard drive, you've got your clone, but it's not you know it's not plugged in and available at all times, which I always you know kind of like the yeah, idea of my yeah, my clone drive being isolated, and so that if you know some malicious something happens, you know which I mean it never has happened, but you know it might, then uh, you know the drive is. Uh, is not plugged in. The the way I do that is um, because Super Duper also has a setting where you can say run it when this drive is plugged in. And um, so I plug the drive in and then run it and then have it 
dismount it when it's done. You can do that from within SuperDuper. And then, and then the other trick is then you take the drive away from the computer and you stick it in a closet or hide it somewhere. So if someone comes and steals your computer, they don't steal a backup drive as well. But then you need a like I did that once and I literally I lost my backup drive for like a couple of weeks. I oh, got back hit, from vacation really and I, I could yeah. not remember where it was. <laughs> well, well, I and just make sure that's why I've I've I keep the drive connected to it, and I know that can be an issue if you have power or surges or something like that. But I've got it encrypted with File Vault security because you can do that now on an on an external drive, and it is is it's, it's a, my backup, and it's not actually my only backup, but it's it's my second level backup of this data. And I just unmounting it offers one level of protection. The encryption offers another. But I, I find that I am my own worst enemy for that kind of stuff because I've got to remember to go plug in the hard drive and unplug the hard drive. Well, I, I put it in a box and then I dig a hole four feet deep and put it okay. in there because I don't, when I turn the magnets on, I don't want it anywhere near. <laughs> that's 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 right. Is, is four feet deep enough for the magnets? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't tested the backup yet. I well, guess that's that well, could be a, a potential error. And there. you might have to get like a concrete block to put yeah. it in. Yeah. A concrete box instead of a cardboard yeah. box. Yeah. Get a house with one of those old uh, you know, bomb shelters in the backyard. Canned peas and backup. Okay. You, you know, another thing I did with this server, which I recently stopped doing, was OmniFocus because I want to capture tasks with OmniFocus. And OmniFocus has some really great built-in stuff where if you receive an email that has this magic incantation in the subject line, um, create a new OmniFocus task from it. And there was a lot of ways to parse that. But now OmniFocus has that mail drop service, which I don't know if oh we've ever talked gosh. about it on the show, but it's really fantastic. So if you're syncing your data through OmniFocus using their server, they give you an email and you just forward an email to it from your phone or any Mac you're on or any iOS device or any PC and, you know, Outlook or whatever. It will add that the contents of that email to a to become a new task. So you don't need that. That's that, that purpose of the home server has gone away now. There is, I, I read one about one script where you can do um, where mail, uh, it's like a mail rule. Basically when a, a mail message gets flagged, it yeah. could, you could have it to set to OmniFocus. And one thing I've, you know, not like it's that hard to hit forward and then type in your OmniFocus mail drop email address. You know, it's, it's like eight taps or something like that. But uh, it's uh, seven you, taps too many, man. Right, and so you could do uh, if you do the flag in your uh, from your iPhone and just you know flag a message real quick, then your you know, the mail app that's running on your media server would notice that, could forward over to OmniFocus, then unflag the 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 mail and you know move it somewhere if you wanted something like that. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. That was that was Federico over at Mac Stories, right? Yeah, it was. He you know he is like really doing some interesting automation stuff. If you're interested in Mac automation, I would. I would go follow Mac stories. Those guys if you're interested in, in anything, I yeah. would go follow Mac stories. That's a good point. That's a good point. We're going to get him on. He's already, we're, we're, we're working on it right now. So he's a future guest. Well, he's Italian too. So he'll, you know, he yes. sounds great on radio. I bet he does. It'll just show how terrible I am at this, but that's okay. Um, Katie, you've got a couple more in the outline here. What, what about the iFi? So yeah. you're going to, you're going to run your iFi hosting software on your server. I do because again, my MacBook Air is not always on, or maybe it's asleep or maybe it's in my bag somewhere. But as soon as I come within range of my Wi-Fi network in my house, my Mac mini's on that Wi-Fi network and my iFi server, my iFi card will start to download the data. And I've actually got the download location set as my Dropbox. 
and then Dropbox via Hazel rule imports into iPhoto. Oh, that is brilliant. Yeah. Done. I didn't even think about that. I'm waiting for my iFi card. I, I send a mail-in rebate that came with my Olympus that I got for Christmas. Yeah, Sean, that cost me a lot of money, that post you did about your Olympus. Oh, did you get one? Yeah. Did you get a camera? Did yeah. you get the EPL5? I got the exact one you did with the exact lens you did. Do you like it? Yes. My, um, I guess this is probably not, my, my daughter is really into video and she wanted to get an SLR with video. That was her big thing. You know, she says, you know, and I couldn't afford that, but we did get her the, uh, the Olympus PL5 and she's taking some amazing video with it. Yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. So I, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I sold my, my Canon, you know, I just took the money from my old, um, my old, um, SLR and helped, you know, pay for it. Anyway, sorry. But you, you, that must have, that must have been rough. You played a hand in it. I'll tell you yeah. that. Well, okay. You're welcome. Um, I'm a member of Sean's site, Katie. Did I tell you that? I'm, I'm a paying member. And he's got a membership drive going on right now, actually, don't you? Yeah. It's totally yeah. worth it. Started totally this morning. Okay, uh, so I'm, I'm, I keep going off target today. I don't know what's going on with me. You know, when we record at night, I come home and I'm kind of, you know, surly. Um, okay, so OpenDNS. Uh, yeah, we've, we've talked about OpenDNS on a couple of shows, but the way that the OpenDNS magic works is it, it has to know where you are and it has to know if your IP address changes. So if you've got, you know, a typical uh, cable company internet plan or whatever, you've got a dynamic IP address, which means that anytime your cable company could change your IP address. And then all of a sudden all your open DNS stuff was, won't work. So open DNS comes with an app and it's a menu bar app that will every now and then ping the open DNS server that says, Hey, open DNS, I'm Katie's computer. And here I am. This is my IP address. Just FYI. And so they're all, all I mean, really all of these stuff that I do in this, this kind of other category are just all of these little menu bar apps and all these little applications that do things in the background that I want to happen, but yet I don't necessarily want running on my main Mac. And those are the kinds of things that I, that I throw on my Mac mini. So that open DNS is, is one of the things and the, those things launch whenever I restart the Mac mini. So that got thrown in the list. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of open DNS and especially if you have kids around because it, it'll block porn and do some other things that are really helpful. But you know what, Katie, I've never run the menu bar app and I've never had a problem with it losing track of who I am or where I'm at. So maybe it's just my local cable company. But, um, you know, but, although I'm supposed to have a dynamic IP address, I've every time I've checked, it's been the same. Yeah. OK. Who knows? Um, um, and then the other thing I've done, and this has been a real recent addition, is I um, I've, I've kind of I don't know why and I don't really have a need to. But I've I've kind of wanted to get into this little security camera craze. I, I had an issue where I had a package stolen from my front door and that kind of, you know, just pissed me off, man. And I, I want to get video of this guy. And who took who, you know, who who took my pair of long black pants off of my front door? I mean, who does that? Right. So yeah. They thought it was the 12,000 magnets. They, they, they obviously did. went to the wrong Mac power user. Yeah, they did. I mean, all it was was a pair of black pants. I mean, give me These a break. Are- but if someone tries to steal my 12,000 magnets um, and they're wearing a belt buckle, they are not getting away from my house. <laughs> so um, one of the, I haven't put security cameras outside my house yet because I don't want the neighbors to think that I'm a little bit crazy. But uh, this kind of served a, a dual purpose, and, and it was a freebie, so I just throw it in here. But at, at my Mac user group, from time to time, people um, have stuff that they don't really need anymore, and they'll just say, hey, I've got this thing. Does anybody want it? 
And somebody brought an old Logitech USB cam. And this thing is ridiculously poor quality, but it's, you know, decent enough that you can make out images in my house. So I was like, okay, well, what are the odds of this thing happening? You know, just right out of this Ziploc bag that she brought it in out of her garage somewhere working on my on my Mac mini. So I plugged it in the other day. And you know what? The Mac recognizes it. No drivers, no software, no nothing. That's why I love my Mac. And um, so I just plugged it in and and threw it up on the uh you know on a on a in in my um entertainment center and it's not on most of the time and I like the fact that it's got one of those blue indicator lights so it'll let you know if it's on but wherever I am in the world I can remote access into that Mac. I, I use LogMeIn to remote access when I'm out of the out of the area and pop on that little camera and the way that I've got it situated I can I can see the whole kind of common area of my house. I can see the living room, the kitchen, the dining room, the back, the the back kind of doors of my house, and in and kind of the front door area. It's kind of a unique angle I've got on it. Yeah, my sister does that to look at her cats during the day. Well, you know what you could do is get one of those Belkin, the Wemo thing, right? Is that yeah? You know what I'm I don't. About? Th- the, I don't uh, think the cameras are out yet, though. Well, They're but there's soon. the motion detector, right? And it works with if this, then that. Yeah. So you could set oh. one of those motion detectors, you know, somewhere outside if you've got an outside outlet. Um, you know, it's you know, if it's between these hours or something like that and something happens, you know, you could turn on a porch light or you can text message me or, you know, text message me and then I'll log in. Yeah, I mean you could you could go crazy with that. That's a it, good idea. It, I could get a Wemo and put it out by my front porch and have it text message me. So when the thief comes back, or more accurately, when the UPS guy drops something off, I'll get a text uh-huh. message. Yeah. That's a really the, good idea. The automation stuff is, I think, kind of early days, but it's really fun. I, I don't know how else to put it. I love this stuff, uh, setting up, you know, making lights turn on and doing other things with automation. And I, I don't even have a good reason for it, but I just love it. It's like Legos. Yeah. It's, you know, grown up digital Legos or something. I can't wait to see where if this, then that goes, because it it just seems like every time I get an email from them, they've attached a new service to it. And I'm going up and signing up for services just because I want to use them with if this, then that. Yeah, it's fantastic. I use it for quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, because we have Dropbox and because we have Hazel and some of these other things, we can make some magic happen. It's really not that hard. Um. Hey, uh, last sponsor uh, is Squarespace, and Squarespace is everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is fully hosted and completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. The me- uh, that means that no matter how experienced you are with building websites or not experienced, you can build something amazing in minutes without having to worry about hosting and scaling and integration. They've got beautiful, clean templates, and everything in the platform is drag and drop, and everything is integrated. So... Uh, The layout engine is the page builder, which allows you to create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You add blocks of content such as photos, videos, text, and social media, or tons more. You don't have to worry what your site will look like on a mobile device because it automatically scales and fix itself. The entire site will be restructured to automatically fit the device that's watching it. So... Um, there's even an iOS and Android app that lets you manage your post on the go. You can even import your content from your current blog and easily set up sharing and syncing to your other social media accounts. When you sign up for a year with Squarespace, you get a free custom domain name, which is great. So you get, you've got everything in one location. Uh, 
Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan or $20 for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year, you automatically get 20% off. And if you go sign up for two years, you get 25%. And if you want to pay month to month, then you can pay the regular fee. Um, and you can still link your custom domain from a different service like Cover. Uh, there's no credit card required to try it out. Simply go to squarespace.com slash MacPowerUsers. And that last part's important. It helps us out. So go check it out at squarespace.com MacPowerUsers and start your trial. Now, if you decide you want to use it, um, at the at the pricing checkout, there's a little button. It's actually kind of hard to see. When you go to pay, it says uh, offer code. That's all it says. And if you click on that, tap in mpu and then the number two and you get 10 percent more off so you can do a great job i just had a great squarespace story uh, just the last couple of days a friend of mine he's 65 years old he's been a lawyer his whole life and doesn't understand any of this internet stuff but he has a mac and he's starting a mediation business and he was telling me how much money he was going to have to spend to set up a mediation website for his new business and I said, that's crazy. I, I set him up with Squarespace and all I did was show him how to log in and how to add a picture and how to add text. That's all I did. And uh, that was on Friday. And then today I went back to the office. We're recording this Monday. Not only did he have a really good looking website that he built himself, his wife set up a Squarespace account and built up a site for her artwork. And his son set up a new space for his construction company. So they built three websites in a weekend and none of them have a lick of, you know, HTML. They don't even know what HTML is, you know? So it's really quite a remarkable service and we're real happy to have them as a sponsor. So go check out squarespace.com slash Mac power users. So Sean, tell us a little bit um, before we close out of here, who you are, what you do, and a little bit about this membership drive you got going on. Because you're doing some really special stuff over on your, your website, and you're doing this full-time now. And how can people support that? Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm a dad. Uh, my son's almost a year old. It's the best thing, best thing in the world. And actually, this, this show's probably not going. You said this show will go up in like a week or so, right? Right. Yeah. From, from the time of recording. So by the time this show goes live, I'll have announced that actually my wife and I are expecting our second kid later this fall. Oh, so, congratulations. Uh, thank you. So we're really excited about that. And uh, yeah, about two years ago, I quit my day job. I used to be the uh, marketing and design director for uh, Christian ministry out here in Kansas City. And I quit that to to take my website full time and just do a bunch of writing about design stuff, tech stuff, Mac stuff, things like that. And uh, so, you know, like you guys mentioned, it's at SeanBlanc.net and uh, do this membership deal. So the, the site's primary income is actually through uh, the readers of the site they pitch in. Uh, it's about four bucks a month to pitch in. And I just set up a whole new membership system, moved over from PayPal. Now we use Stripe and, uh, so got some cool membership perks. If you sign up, there's uh, the podcast that I do that's every day. And then, uh, in addition, there's like a little members journal. So it's like an email I sent out uh, about once a quarter. And then I also added this new section, uh, just went live this morning and it's called, uh, the Sean Blanc coffee methods. And it's basically just a bunch of recipes, uh, gear recommendations, some videos and things like that for uh, brewing coffee because I have, um, I think, beyond the legal limit of coffee paraphernalia here in my kitchen, um, I literally have like an entire cupboard dedicated all my coffee gear. And so I've kind of got a bunch of favorite different recipes for, you know, if it's the pour over or an AeroPress or a French press or a siphon and things like that. So, so that's that's kind of what I do. Yeah. And you can go over and subscribe to Sean's RSS feed, whether or not you're a member. 
and and check it out. Uh, I was a subscriber for a long time, and then when you when you left the day job and started this, I wanted to support you and and signed up. I, I think it's um, you know I'm very picky about what goes in my RSS feed, and and this is one that has always been there and will always stay there. So thanks, Sean, for for bringing all that to us. And also thanks for giving us the kick in the pants we needed to finally do this server show, which we didn't think we had enough content for, but now we're an hour and 36 minutes Here we are at an hour and a half again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to kick you guys in the pants anytime. All right. And um, (laughs) if you want to come over and help me hook up all these magnets, you know, the invitation's there. Right. I just won't bring my belt buckle. Yeah, definitely. Not if you want to leave. And make right. sure you don't have any fillings in your teeth or anything like that. <laughs> um, so, Katie, how do you find us? Well, you can find the show and links to everything that we talked about over at our website. That's at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Feedback. I'm sorry. Twitter is uh, Mac Power Users, and uh, Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. And you if you want to si- send us feedback, there you go. Yes. Yeah. You can send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. I can't guarantee that it won't go through a server-based Apple Mail rule, but I will get it. In fact, it, it probably will. But I will get it, and uh, Katie and I will both read it. And well, those are the reply. ones that get, like, don't you, you know. Super high like priority, stars three on, exclamation yeah, points. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's what you got to delete the email from Spark so you have time to read. Right. Yes. Um, and uh, we love iTunes comments. Please keep them coming. It, it makes me feel good. It warms the cockles of my heart when I go in and see that people uh, enjoy the show. And thanks to our sponsors. Yeah. Thank you to Squarespace, Fujitsu, Shutterstock, and Hover. And uh, we appreciate that all you all, you all do for us to uh, help us keep this show going. And uh, we will see you all next week. Yeah. See you then.